A reading from the conclusion of the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which the Lord had ordered them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but they also doubted. Then Jesus approached and said to them, All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. So today we get to celebrate the Feast of the Ascension. Now the Ascension is the final phase of the Paschal Mystery. Now, that's a phrase you've heard often through this Easter season. It crops up in our prayers, in our collects, in the Eucharistic prayer. You keep seeing this phrase, the Paschal Mystery. One of the problems that we have as... Um, Catholic Christians in the 21st century, is that over the last 2,000 years, we have developed our own language. You ever notice that? We have our own words and expressions for things, and people who are not raised in the church, who don't, uh, haven't been to Catholic school, haven't learned all these things, they, they come to church and they listen to us, and it's like we're speaking a foreign language. It's as if you went to a meeting of, say, doctors who are discussing the coronavirus, and you're interested, so you go, and you sit there and suddenly, and you quickly realize that they're speaking a language you don't understand. They're using all these medical terms and, and ideas and modalities that just, and you come out of there going, I didn't get anything out of it. And this is what happens to a lot of people who come to church. Have you ever heard that? People say, I don't go to church, I don't get anything out of it. I think a key reason for that is that we use a language they don't understand. We talk about things, we use expressions that are meaningless to them. That goes right over their heads. And they walk out and say, I didn't get anything out of that. I had no idea what was going on. So today I'm going to give you a quick rundown of the Paschal mystery. The word Paschal actually comes from the Hebrew word Pesach. You know, I always throw out these Greek and Hebrew words, which means the Passover. The Passover. Remember, have you all seen the movie, The Ten Commandments? Cecil B. DeMille, The Ten Commandments. Or maybe a more modern version of that. And it's all about the time that Hebrews were in Egypt and there were plagues. And um, the last plague was supposed to be the death of the firstborn. So the Hebrews were instructed that on the night that this plague was supposed to happen, the death of the firstborn, they were to take a lamb without spot or blemish. They would sacrifice, kill the lamb, and they would sprinkle his blood on the doorposts, around the doors of the houses, and then they would eat the lamb. That would be their Passover meal. Then when that night the angel of death killed all the firstborn of the Egyptians, the, the um, Hebrews were set free. They, and to, to get, get to freedom, they had to pass through the Red Sea. The Red Sea parted. Oh, it's a great scene in the Cecil B. DeMille movie. The Red Sea parts... And the Israelites marched through. I once read how many thousands of pounds of jello Cecil B. DeMille used to create that effect where the sea is parting. So 
This is the Paschal mystery. And we understand that to be about Christ, about Jesus. And in the life of Christ, the Paschal mystery is, takes place in five phases, five stages. And the first of those is the Eucharistic meal. Remember, the, the father would, would sacrifice the lamb and they would eat the lamb on the night of Passover. What did St. John the Baptist say when he met Jesus? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God, and we eat his body and blood in the Eucharistic meal. We share in the meal of the Paschal Lamb, the Passover Lamb. And the second stage of the Paschal mystery is when Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prays, not my will, but thy will be done. Remember, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And so all of mankind from that day forward became sinners. But Jesus was the lamb without spot or blemish. And he lived in perfect obedience to his father. And in perfect obedience to his father, in the prayer, not my will, but thy will be done. He reverses the sin of Adam, that from his day forward, all of us could be made righteous before God through the obedience of Christ. The third stage of the Paschal mystery is, of course, Christ's sacrifice, being crucified on the cross, blood and water being poured out from his side as the divine mercy pours out into us through his Eucharistic sacrament and his sacrament of baptism. It's interesting that in Christ's day, when the Paschal lamb was sacrificed, they would actually kill the lamb and then they would hang the lamb on a cross. And so through, on the night that Jesus was being crucified, all through Jerusalem were hundreds, probably thousands, of crosses with Passover lambs hanging upon them. And the feast of the Passover was about the freedom from death. Remember, it was the angel of death that was going to pass through Egypt, killing the firstborn. But gee, the, the fourth step in the Paschal mystery is Christ's resurrection, by which he overcomes death, so that we do not have to die. We can live forever in him that the angel of death no longer has control over us. We have been freed from death by the resurrection of Christ. And then the fifth stage of the Paschal mystery is today, the ascension. And you recall how in the Old Testament, the high priest only entered the Holy of Holies on one day a year, and that day was the Day of Atonement when he would take the blood of the sacrifice and sprinkle it on the mercy seat of God so that that blood of the sacrifice would wash away the sins of the people. And so on the Feast of Ascension, Christ rises into the true Holy of Holies, the heavenly throne room of his Father to offer his blood as the sacrifice to wash away our sinfulness, the sins of all mankind. Take, he takes away the sins of the world. We sing that in the Gloria. 
and that is this feast of ascension, these five phases of the Paschal mystery. And so share this with people. When they say, I don't get anything out of church, I don't even understand what you're talking about. You can go through all five phases of the Paschal mystery, and then they'll be enlightened, and they'll all come to church next week. No, they won't, because they'll stay home and watch it on live stream, right? Because they don't want, they're, they're afraid of being close to people. So Jesus, on this Feast of Ascension, he brings his disciples to a mountain, and there he gives them a twofold command and a twofold promise. He commands them to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. Now, what does that mean to make disciples? It means what's to teach, Catholic word, to catechize, to teach the world everything Jesus taught us, to teach the world about God being love and how he calls us to love him with our whole hearts and to love our neighbors as ourselves, to teach the world about the mercy of God and to teach the world, as St. Paul writes in his letter to the Ephesians that Ian read, to teach the world that everything is brought into oneness under the headship of Christ, that everything in all creation is brought into unity under Christ. One of the things I greatly appreciate, I hear this from people every now and then, they tell me, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Well, I appreciate that thought. Because what they're saying is, is that in their heads, they think that religion is something that separates people. Because religious people tend to talk in separation. I'm Catholic, I'm Protestant, I'm Jewish, I'm Muslim. We're always subdividing always subdividing people into these little categories. And they realize intuitively, because the Spirit of God has been given to all mankind, they realize intuitively that God must be about bringing people together, not tearing people apart. What we need to explain to them is not that they're wrong thinking they should be spiritual and not religious, but to explain to them My microphone is on. Pardon? Uh-oh, we have, we have a technical problem here. I'm cycling it now. Now it's on. Well, I mean, everybody missed that whole first half of my homily? <laughs> Did I accidentally turn it off? I think my battery is about, I think my battery is dying. Can we get me a new, a new battery? I think that's the problem. My battery is dying. You have to be smarter than me to do this high-tech live stream mass stuff. Okay. Just need to, oops, okay. Now I've got to figure out how to put this in. Okay. We got power now. When did my mic, when did it die? 
Oh, just a couple of seconds ago. Okay, good. I don't want anybody to miss this. This is good stuff. You guys risk your lives to come here and hear this. Yes, so, no, this is good stuff. Christ gives the twofold promise to make disciples, to teach. Now, we as human beings love to explore. Have you noticed that? We love to explore. We like to go to view, to visit natural wonders and explore them. Recently, I was at uh, Arches National Park in Utah, and I said and read all about how the arches were formed, and I loved hiking around and seeing all these arches and walking underneath them. It was marvelous because we like to explore. We like to explore other cultures and other countries, and we learn a little bit of their language, and we like to try their foods and visit with people and see their folk dances, and it's great to, to go and visit countries and cultures. We like to explore the ocean, and we like to explore outer space. We always are on the desire, we're searching for discovery. But here's the amazing thing. We can explore God. We can spend our entire lives, and in fact all eternity, exploring the depths and the riches of God. As we study, as we learn, as we seek inspiration and guidance, as we meditate, as we discover new things about God, we can always be exploring and learning and discovering the deep riches of God. And that's a great joy that so many people miss out on because they come to church, they've got their obligation, and they move on. But there is all of our life we can explore the deep riches of God and learn. And so Jesus commanded his disciples, teach the nations. Teach the nations everything I have taught you. So that everyone can explore the depth and the riches of God. And as St. Paul, all of humanity can be brought into oneness, into unity. Under the headship of Christ who is the head of his body, the church and baptize, to baptize. Remember in the story in Egypt, the Hebrews passed through the Red Sea to get to the promised land, and indeed we pass through baptism to enter into the promised land of his church. And baptism is both a physical act, but it's also a spiritual reality that in baptism we are born again, as Christ said to Nicodemus. We read that just a week or two ago. We are born again into a new life. We are born again as adopted children of God. And as St. Paul says in baptism, we die with Christ and we are raised to new life in him. So that in baptism we are empowered with the indwelling Holy Spirit to live the resurrection life in this age. Because Jesus gave us two promises. He said, all power, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I am with you always. As the psalmist sang, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? When all authority and all power in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus and he is with us always, who should we fear? Because we are enabled by the indwelling Holy Spirit to live 
to resurrection life in this age. Jesus said, I am with you, even to the end of the age. And the apostles misunderstood that. They thought it was going to happen right then. In fact, when you, in the book of Acts, the first reading, when Jesus ascends into heaven, they're all just standing around, waiting for him to come back. They ask him, are you at this time going to establish the kingship, restore the kingship to Israel? Wasn't his plan. His plan was to nine days later establish a different kind of kingdom. Not a kingdom in which he is ruling and, and judging, but a kingdom in which is a kingdom of love by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In nine days in the Feast of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends and the church becomes the kingdom of God in the earth. The kingdom of love, the kingdom of mercy, the kingdom that, has, that shares in the authority of Christ. And too often we shirk that authority, don't we? Not that the church is supposed to be going around exercising authority over people. Sometimes people want to do that. But to exercise authority over ignorance, to exercise authority over deceptions, the lies and the accusations of the accuser, to bring God's presence into the life of every person that we can enjoy the freedom and joy and power of the Lord so that all the world can enjoy the resurrection life of Christ. And what is that resurrection life? You have to come back next week. Next week when we celebrate the Feast of Pentecost and explore the power of God given to the church through the apostles on the day of Pentecost.